Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert Hazelton, and I'll be your host. I've got a big show today. I want to talk about Red Dead Redemption 2 for the PC, Jedi Fallen Order. Then I'm going to get into some hypothetical ideas on how the movie series Dark Universe and the DC Universe could have been fixed with a few small tweaks. We've got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to start by talking about Red Dead Redemption 2 for the PC. Most people who cared about this probably got it for a console back in October when it first came out. Myself included, I had it for the PlayStation. But I have to admit that the load times and just the online version itself, as well as the story just being a little slow, didn't hold me for very long. So I wasn't really anticipating getting it for the PC, but a number of things kind of attracted my attention. First off, they had a great deal on Green Man Gaming where you got 10% off. Uh, Actually, I think it was 8% to be specific. And so that helped. And then once I got the game itself, I found those new roles that had been released, the Bounty Hunter, the Collector, and the Trader. And that really enhanced the gameplay, gave you something more to do than the story and the random little stuff that they had in the game itself. So when I started playing the game, I have to admit it looks fantastic on the PC. I've had a great time riding around and just doing stuff. Um, the initial story missions are really fun. The uh, the graphics for the characters themselves seem to be improved. I didn't have as hard of a time making somebody who didn't look like an alien. And if you've looked at any videos, you could see that some of the characters just were hideous when you would make them with their character creator. I'm not sure why that is. It's almost like Rockstar has never actually seen a human being before, even though their characters in the single player look pretty fantastic, to be honest. I haven't dove in to the single player at all because I really don't want to go through that opening chapter again because it was kind of tedious. I have heard that mods will likely remove those first two chapters and let you just dive right into the game, which would be kind of nice. It'd be cool if Rockstar just had a skip intro button or something too but anyway I know there's a whole number of reasons why that wouldn't necessarily work so it it doesn't bother me too much I'm not really here for that part of the game my primary interest is in the online experience and with those three roles and I've only picked up two of them so far the collector and the bounty hunter they've been a lot of fun I love doing the weekly bounty with a buddy where we just have to go out and do something crazy and playing as the collector is also pretty cool because you get quite a bit of money for doing that so I'm finally not poor in the game couple that with the fact that some of the outfits are really neat I mean they are hidden behind crazy levels but that's not to say that it's as hard to level as I thought it would be when I first got into it it seemed really slow but in a four-hour session, I rode all around the countryside, and I streamed it, where I, I basically picked up all the tarot cards, and there's four suits of tarot, 14 each. And I have to admit, I ended up getting three or four levels and a whole bunch of experience as the collector itself. So right there, the game has become far more accessible with those later levels. If you were really determined, you could spend maybe two hours every day and go out and do collection stuff, and at the end of the week push yourself pretty far in the levels each time you turn in a collection you get 1500 collector points and only costs 2000 to level to the next stage of being a collector Uh, the bounties aren't nearly as generous even when you do the uh, the weekly bounty you don't get as much experience so the collector it does take a lot more work you are looking around for the most random little places there's maps online there's there's great videos so 
you can sort of cheese it if you want to, or you could do the real experience and ride all over the countryside looking for the small nooks and crannies where cards and flowers and, and the coins, all that are uh, located. Now, there are a couple of nitpicky things that bother me. One of them in particular is the price of items. Some of them are outrageous, like to get the shovel for the collector. So there's a whole bunch of stuff you can't get without a shovel. They're buried. They're, they're like uh, jewelry and coins and that sort of thing. You've got to have this shovel. I think it was 250 bucks to buy a freaking shovel. And then the um, metal detector, which this I feel okay about, it was still $700 to get that thing. And you can't just go out and buy it. You actually have to unlock it with tokens that you get for leveling up your different uh, rolls. And then once you unlock it, then you can buy it. So it has a, a multiple currencies to even unlock the thing. And that kind of sucks because that's a lot of money. Now... Maybe it's not later on. I have seen online videos where people are floating around the $3,000 mark, so they're probably not hurting for spending 700 It just seems a little bit excessive as far as the currency of the game goes. In fact, I would imagine they could have just lowered the prices down considerably of the rewards you got and kept those numbers feeling a little bit more realistic because the game has a very real feel to it. I mean, I got bitten by a rattlesnake and had to apply some healing herb to avoid the poison bothering me. So they do a great job of adding all of these little details. And let me tell you, even though the online version doesn't have things like going into the hotel to rent a room or taking a bath or any of that other stuff, there is still a ton of little things that you can find out in the middle of nowhere. I rode way up into the mountains, past all this snow and other craziness. And while I was there, I found this creepy cabin with all these dead people in it and they were they they were set up in, in a creepy horrifying way it was a very horror movie moment actually and i found all this stuff there just a cache of goods that i was able to take and leave with and that was just literally out in the middle of nowhere i was just looking around i wasn't doing anything in particular so I know that the single-player game has even more of that kind of stuff, but the online game definitely provides you with an expansive world to explore and find random things. All around, Red Dead Online specifically has been my new thing. It actually trumped Destiny 2. I stopped playing. I haven't played Destiny in a couple of weeks now because I've been focused on Red Dead and, and the next game I'm going to talk about as well. But if you liked... Red Dead on the consoles and you really want better performance, you want to see it in, in a better light, so to speak, then I would definitely recommend picking it up for the PC. It is a hard sell to buy it for full price if you already have it for a console, especially if you've beaten it on the console, because this isn't a short game um, in the story mode. And while there is a story mode in the online version, it's it's not very long either. There are two pads that you could go down good and bad but for the most part it you can finish the actual story part pretty fast and then you'd be looking at the roles and and getting involved in pvp or races or whatever else you want to want to do ultimately if you already have it for the console i would recommend getting it if you could find a discount if you can't find a discount you probably don't really need it you might even already have a bunch of cool stuff on the online version of your console of choice so there's probably no reason to go on. However, if you don't have it at all and you had a passing interest, 
then I would say that this is a must-have. You should pick it up because it's beautiful, it's a huge game, it'll keep you occupied for a very, very long time, and if you get bored with one aspect, you can try the other. I just feel that this has been a really good choice for Rockstar. I'm sure you've heard about some of their rocky beginnings uh, as far as the release goes. I can tell you those have been ironed out. When I first got the game, uh, it would crash immediately upon launch. And I tried several of the little fixes. They were they were pretty crazy. The one that ended up working for me was involved my antivirus, which was absurd. And once that got fixed, I think it was maybe two days later at the most, um, I've had no more problems. As far as streaming goes, however... I had to change their graphic renderer from the Vulcan or whatever to DirectX, and I was able to stream. However, what that did for me was crash when I was playing with my friend. I didn't see it so much alone, but when we were doing a bounty, we got to the very end, we were about to turn it in, and my game crashed. So I did find a workaround for streaming for me, which was to play the game with my streaming window up instead of actually in the game, because I use a controller so I can move around and, and play the game still. But if I go into the game itself, then my stream pauses. So I could still play the game on Vulkan or whatever that thing is, that, that renderer, and still stream, but I'm playing in a window that is a small portion of my monitor. Uh, it worked okay. That's how I did my big stream where I did the huge collection for four hours the other day. That's not that big of a deal to me, but I did just update my video driver to play the Jedi game, so I'm hoping that it might have had some sort of cascade effect and fixed that streaming problem. I don't really know what it is, per se, but uh, hopefully we'll figure that out soon and I can continue to stream the antics in the Old West. Final verdict for Red Dead Redemption 2 for the PC is that you should definitely get it if you don't have it at all, and if you have it for the console, grab it for a discount if you love PC gaming. It's worth it. Jedi Fallen Order came out with some serious expectations on its shoulders, primarily from people who were hoping for a really good single-player experience and doubting they'd get it from Electronic Arts. And who can blame them, considering what Electronic Arts has recently put out and the way they've talked for the last god knows how long. I went into this game cautiously optimistic that it would be at least moderately fun, and what I ended up getting was one of my favorite action-adventure games since the old Assassin's Creed days. In fact, I think the last game I enjoyed as much was likely Assassin's Creed Syndicate, because that was just before they started doing the role-playing aspect of AC and left it as sort of an action-adventure game where you just did some upgrades. And that's pretty much what Jedi Fallen Order is at its heart, is an adventure game where you unlock more powers as you play and do a lot of exploration. I wrote a pretty extensive article about Jedi Fallen Order, and I want to sum up just some of the parts here so that you can kind of get a feel for how I felt about the game and what to expect when you go into playing it. I've got some pros and cons, but ultimately what you need to know is that what they did here was very similar to the Shadow of Mordor approach to gaming. They basically made Assassin's Creed Middle-Earth Edition. It feels the same, the character moves the same, many of the moves that you make are exactly out of those games. So much so that I seem to recall someone actually tried to sue them about that. Jedi Fallen Order falls into a very similar path, but this time they borrowed heavily from Tomb Raider. In fact, so much so, I'm really stunned that they aren't in trouble. Let's talk about exactly what that means. 
when you're playing Jedi Fallen Order, you are basically doing a lot of platforming. If you've seen videos that show you getting into massive combat, it's not something that happens all the time. There's plenty of fighting, don't get me wrong. And some of it is really, really cheap, and some of it's really, really fun. But the real point of the game is to explore the environment and to overcome obstacles that happen in your way. To that end, if you loved Tomb Raider, you're going to absolutely adore this game. The puzzles work pretty much the same way, but they are a little less organic than you've come to expect and really are built with logic all their own. That's one of my biggest complaints of the game is that much of the puzzle work in it just comes off as WTF. I had no idea who came up with some of these ideas. They were reaching back to the far old days of like point and click adventure games and the original Tomb Raider uh, titles to come up with some of this stuff. And you know what I'm talking about back when you'd go into Croft Manor to do some practice and there would be three chandeliers that were perfectly spaced to become stairs or something crazy like that. This game does that a little bit. Some of it is organic still. It's almost like two different people worked on the puzzles and you could kind of tell that because a few are like, oh yeah, that's exactly how this works and you just have to figure out how to make that work specifically where others are like, I have absolutely no clue what's going on and you randomly do stuff until it works and when you finally get it to work you're like who thought of that who believed that we would come up with that any other way than complete trial and error and i don't like gameplay that involves total trial and error i want it to have some logic to where we at least have an idea of where it starts and then and then have it logically play out you know if we're thoughtful and we're good at puzzles or even if we're m- mediocre at puzzles we should be able to figure some of it out uh, that was kind of a, a a tricky part in the game for me because on one hand I loved the puzzles they were a lot of fun to do but on the other they were mostly uh, inorganic and kind of frustrating uh, especially later on in the game the graphics in this game are solid they're not as good as I thought when I saw a video because I was thinking that they were using the frostbite engine still I think that the graphics from the uh, the single player campaign in Battlefront 2, or whatever that title was, the one where you play the uh, ex-Imperial soldier, I thought those were incredible, and I thought these were going to be the same. But as this is the Unreal Engine this time, I could say that it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. Now, that's not to say they're not great, but there are a few anomalies that happen. Like, when your character's eyes are closed, that looks a little funny. And there's just a few moments where characters don't look as human as they probably could when they should and there's a few glitches here and there but for the most part they look great they're definitely on par with anything else you play out there they're super high quality and i don't think you'll have too many complaints about it in 4k it looked really really good i was definitely immersed some of the sweeping vistas are absolutely beautiful when you get to the kashik and you're hanging out in that vast forest it's just beautiful so There's nothing really to complain about there. Uh, Small complaints aside, it is definitely a great-looking game. Let's move on to the story. Is it any good? A lot of people were really worried about the story because they were complaining about how the character was just some white guy, and they missed an opportunity to make that character more diverse, I guess, is the best way to put it. I'm going to tell you, I think the story was great. 
I think it was not revolutionary at all, and there were some serious, predictable moments. Much of what happened, I I can't say I was ever really surprised uh, throughout the experience. Um, that's not to say I didn't like it. It was still fun. For once, I was able to do something that was super predictable and not judge it harshly as a result. I think there were things they could have done to make it more interesting or at least less like other things we'd seen before. The first thing I would have done is set it in a different era. I wouldn't have put it right in the middle of all these movies they've been doing. I know they kind of want to bank on that, but it would have been probably cooler if they would have set it even before all the movies. No time of war, nothing crazy going on. If they're going to ape Tomb Raider anyway, make it Star Wars Tomb Raider edition. Your character could be a young Jedi out there looking for some crazy artifact and trying to prevent the Hut Cartel from getting it or something like that. I mean, there were so many options you know, in this vast world, and we always come back to the, to the legacy stories or in the middle of it or in-betweens and all this nonsense. You know, all they have to do is realize that Star Wars is a huge place. Pick up any role-playing book, and you're going to find 500 great places that have never been explored the clone wars rebels these shows offer glimpses of planets that have never been explored in movies or video games star wars the old republic visits a bunch of great places and you can still have a few iconic worlds but instead of focusing on the end of the revenge of the sith setting it in a different era opens it up for a lot of uh, a lot of narrative freedom for example we know that after A New Hope starts, there are no more Jedi. We don't see any Jedi from the point that New Hope starts to the end of the last Jedi that just came out. So I, I don't know why we get a game where essentially we know that character is probably going to disappear or die in the very near future because they don't want to change the narrative structure too much. They want it to feel canon. So by setting it in a completely different era, they would have opened up a much more expansive world for them to, uh, to, to share with us and to also expand upon with sequels uh, because that character would be long dead before the Phantom Menace even begins. You can even have the Jedi Order giving him a hard time. There was just, there's so many little cool things that could have come up. A total glimpse into the past but they played it pretty safe here. And I can't really fault them because they needed it to be a hit. And I'm going to talk about what that means in a few minutes. But let's move on to the next part, which is the character. A lot of people complained that it was, as I said, just some white guy. But he did a fantastic job. I can't get into exactly what sells me without big spoilers. But I can tell you, if you play this game and you get through the whole story, you will have just fallen in love with him. He has so many cool traits. He's not whiny. He's not aggressive. He's just a cool character. He's somebody that you want to spend a 14 to 20 hour game with. And I think they did a fabulous job of selling him and all of the, all of the companions and people that are in the game. They all do a great job. The voice acting is absolutely top-notch. They sell everything 100%. You will not be disappointed by what you get from Jedi Fallen Order. When you start playing it, it feels like a cinematic experience. And much like other things that have come out, 
uh, in the gaming world for Star Wars. Whenever they focus on story, they tend to be, in my opinion, the best stories that Star Wars has to offer. The Old Republic, which I've talked about before, has my absolute favorite Star Wars stories, and you get to control those. And this one, while you don't have a whole lot of choices, in fact, your choices mean nothing, it is a very linear game. You are going to experience a story the way they want you to experience it. It's still compelling enough to where a choice maniac like myself loved the game. So keep that in mind. The villain. Let's move into the villain. They're not exactly the most original, but they were very entertaining. Uh, if you watched the shows, whether it was the Clone Wars or Rebels, from what I understand, you'd get a better uh, feeling for some of the side characters in this, even the villains. I haven't watched those, so I can't speak to that. But I really did enjoy their sort of menace. And they weren't super one-dimensional, which was really nice. They had some some depth to how they became the way they were. So I don't think you'll be disappointed in that regard either. Every single level has plenty of stuff to do. You will be wandering around like a maniac if you really want to. There are so many secrets and lore discoveries to find. Your character has a form of psychometry so they can absorb the essence of the Force and gain an impression of items and places. And that sort of helps you understand the environment and what's been going on in those different planets. And that's why I come back to my idea where if you were some kind of explorer like Lara Croft just looking for cool artifacts or some holocron back in the old days, it would have been really neat because your character would have that advantage to find that stuff. And that's just how I would have done it. But regardless, there's so much to do. I think you'll be pretty, pretty pleased with the fact that you've got this very long game ahead of you and you can spend more time in that world if you want to. It's got some problems. But let me talk about those briefly, because I don't have as many as I thought I would. Like I already said, the, the story was pretty predictable. Uh, some of the stuff is less impressive than it could have been because of that. But they still did a good job of pushing it through. I felt there were some inconsistencies with the plot. There's still one point that I'm not entirely sure I, I understand, because I think it's a huge hole. I'm going to look into that because I might be wrong. There may be actually some explanation that I just missed. Uh, I did play the game pretty fast. I've got two more complaints, and they're both gameplay related. One is that the platforming is absolutely insane. I've played a lot of Tomb Raider, so my timing is really solid. But without that, I could see people getting very, very frustrated really fast. There's some moments where you're basically sliding down a hill... You have to jump off that hill, wall run twice, so you wall run on the right side, then jump over and wall run on the left side, hop off that, bounce on some random nature thing that throws you in the air, grab a rope, swing over, and then land on a on a platform. And that's that's not uncommon in this game, so if you're not really great at platforming, there's not really that much you can do. You can't turn down the difficulty on that stuff. That's just for the for the enemies. So look forward to some pretty intense actual gameplay when it comes to, to getting around the world. And some of these are unavoidable. It's not like I was looking for specific secrets when those happened. That stuff happened to me while I was just doing the actual main story. Um, the second thing is when you squeeze through the little there's nooks and crannies that you can you can push through and 
those events are really slow and after a while i found them pretty tedious maybe that's just because i'd been playing the game for so long so things started to bother me a little bit more as i went but that stuff was was kind of annoying to to touch briefly on combat it is really fun it could be super dynamic and cinematic it's also a touch cheap in the fact that sometimes the enemies are able to do things that you can't. For example, I've hit an enemy with a really powerful attack and it barely staggered him, whereas if I get hit with those, I'm on the ground reeling for a moment uh, to the point where I'm taking environmental damage or being shot with rockets or whatever else. Very minor complaint for the most part. There are a lot of interesting boss battles that you can kind of expect are going to have stages and the different types of uh, sort of fights you'd see in, in an MMO almost. Um, you know, you trigger a cutscene and then fight a different way for a few minutes, but uh, those don't happen as often as, as you would think. Overall, I'm going to tell you that Jedi Fallen Order is absolutely worth your time, no matter how you decide to play it. If you give EA Origin $15 to play it for a month, on the PC, or if, even if you bought it for $60, I don't think you'd be disappointed. This is a great game. It took me about as much time as, as my favorite Assassin's Creed, which was Brotherhood. I finished the Jedi Fallen Order in 14 hours, and absolutely worth every minute of my time. It was inspirational, the acting was great, the graphics were fun. There's so much to do, so many places to wander, so many creative things that they've put together for you all around i think you'll have a great time definitely worth it it's it, even with my complaints this title deserves the accolades it's receiving and i think it's going to go really far for the electronic arts catalog i had mentioned earlier i was going to talk about what that meant i was thinking that electronic arts has been telling us for years that we love microtransactions and multiplayer only and then this single player game comes along and it gets a ton of critical acclaim I don't know how it's done commercially, but that's very interesting for them. What will that mean for the future of how Electronic Arts does its business? Are they going to essentially find themselves uh, locked into a corner of, oops, we've been saying this for years and here's proof positive that maybe we shouldn't have canceled that other game we had on the on the burner and now you guys are loving this, but we've got microtransactions to do in our something that the stakeholders really really like i guess I, i'm not sure if this was something i just heard and was true or i'm making it up completely but i was under the impression that everybody who developed at at uh, electronic arts had to use the frostbite engine so with jedi fallen order they would have fallen out of their normal routine on multiple fronts one they allowed them to use the unreal engine and two they made a single player game without a single microtransaction nor any multiplayer whatsoever. I guess they were doing a grand experiment here, and we'll see how it plays out for them. And maybe you'll get a lot more single-player games coming out of Electronic Arts in the future. Maybe they'll see that it is worth it to put in that effort and give some people that experience that they've been craving. Really quickly, since I'm on a Star Wars kick, let me just mention that I have watched the two first episodes of The Mandalorian, and I really enjoyed them. I just, my only comment is they're too darn short, and I'm an impatient ass, and I don't want to have to wait a week to watch a 30-minute episode. But beyond that, I think it's really cool. I'd be curious to find out how you guys feel about it. If you have any opinion at all, 
leave a comment or drop me a line and I'll be discussing it in more detail when the whole thing is out and I can talk about the the entire first season uh, as it as it is but that's all I got to say about that just wanted to throw that aside in there before moving on anybody remember when Universal tried to create their unified cinematic universe with the dark universe I think it deserves some teasing based on how the mummy turned out but I wanted to talk about how they might have made that work what could they have done differently to have come up with something that actually launched a really interesting and fun experience and most of it comes down to a lack of patience they wanted to experience the um, the success of marvel instantaneously without any of the discipline required to get there i mean looking at marvel even if you just compare them you can actually see how they could have done better in the fact that you uh, marvel came out with iron man and they just made a great movie that had the ability to push on had it been successful and not only was it successful but it went on to launch one of the most incredible cinematic experiences in history which culminated in endgame and when you see how well that did it's no surprise because not only was it a fantastic film but it was also the end of this grand experiment a real long game with honest patience and discipline to get there they really worked hard to make something amazing and that is why marvel worked and it's also exactly why dark universe did not much like dc the Dark Universe didn't rely on any of the success of their previous films. They just wanted to basically launch a brand new thing and start it out fresh. So they made that Mummy movie, which, as you probably remember, if you happen to see it, was a disjointed mess. It had no idea what it wanted to be. Was it supposed to be a comedy? Was it action-adventure? Was it horror? Or was it just a huge trailer for a whole bunch of movies that were never going to come out? because they didn't do their due diligence in creating a fun and immersive story that brought people back to the theater multiple times. Now, when I saw it, I have to say, I thought it was a joke. It felt like the second cut of a very poorly made movie. I felt like there was a lot of small things that could have been different in the writing and presentation of the film that ultimately would have resulted in a much better experience for everyone involved. So the first thing that really would have helped them is to acknowledge the movies that Steve Sommers made. And while I know that the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor failed and it wasn't really that well received, you can still use that as part of the canon for the new films. Set them in the modern day, absolutely, but acknowledge those movies, whether it be that Dr. Jekyll still leading this clandestine organization that collects supernatural artifacts, a la the legacy from Poltergeist or even that Friday the 13th show. If they would have just had him bring in Tom Cruise's character, sort of recruit him to help them find something that related it back to those movies, they could have immediately had an audience and they would have been banking on something that was already successful. Maybe the Black Book of the Dead has fallen into the hands of a new villain and they're going to task Tom Cruise's character to go out and find it and stop that bad guy from getting it. And that bad guy could have been anybody. He could have been the Invisible Man. He could have been another mummy. He could have been anything. And it could have even culminated to fighting some crazy mummy. Or maybe that was the objective, is to raise a mummy. But whatever it came down to, providing that they pulled that lore from the previous film 
and then implied it to the new one and just focused on an adventure that was right then and there. Not a whole bunch of, oh yes, there are terrifying things out there and we all have to be concerned. No, that can be mentioned. But the idea is, is that right now, your task is to get the Black Book of the Dead and bring it back here so that we can lock it up and keep it safe. And in the meantime, the bad guy is trying to figure out how to how to open it. Maybe he doesn't have the key, something like that. And just have it be an inclusive adventure that involves the supernatural, but maybe not culminate in some huge boss battle. Because honestly, I've seen that the biggest complaint that Marvel movies get, if ever, is that sometimes their boss battles are really tacked on. So avoid those. Just make it a cool, I mean, steal from the Mission Impossible series if you have to. This could be MI spooky. But all around, the final idea is take from your past. Don't forsake it. It was successful. You can even do callbacks. You can talk about those characters. You can have them make an impact even on the present by saying, yes, when they were off doing something in Australia in 1938, they found this item and, and it's been passed down to us and we're the descendants of them. They They came up with this. And you can even have cameos maybe one of the characters did something crazy that made them immortal who knows but drawing from that nostalgia could have helped them a lot because right now when you go in and watch it you have nothing to cling to and since it's just a bunch of stuff that they wanted to basically promote for their next movies you really feel advertised to rather than entertained and that is really where the movie breaks down and it really did need a foundational plan to launch the movies as independent films. Sure, still tell me that you're making a dark universe. That's fine. But it does make me leery now to hear it. And actually, to be honest, DC kind of screwed them over. I'll talk about that in a second. Because when I hear that you're trying to make this expansive thing, I'm worried now that your first movie isn't going to be all on its own. It's not going to stand alone at all because you're going to be trying to hook me for the next film. You're going to make cliffhangers or or you're going to take from the Matrix 2 and leave me literally hanging. And The Mummy does kind of do that at the end. You don't really know what's going on. I mean, you have so much going on in that film. And it, and it all fails because they didn't use any of the strengths available to them. The first step to fixing it was acknowledge the past. The second was, write it with the idea that the first film is the only film. Yes, it is drawing from the past, and it does acknowledge that this is a sort of sequel to the Mummy movies, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily say that all of this is going to be resolved in the next film. It resolves whatever major story is happening in the first film, and then what happens next is is built upon that, but it is not required viewing, and that is how they could have made a better experience. Now, I'm not saying it still would have worked. There was a lot of bad feelings after the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. I mean, there's a reason there was no Mummy 4. Without Rachel Weisz there, it, it was just tough. They were in a really bad spot. And and as great of a job as Maria Bello did filling those shoes, it just it wasn't enough. Plus, you know, the, the Mummy stuff happening in that third film was, was a little ridiculous. But that's not to say that you couldn't have tossed it out with a couple lines, you know. Yeah, we remember the Chinese affair. Uh, it was it was kind of an impact, but we, we hushed all that up. It's fine. And then moved on and even talked about Peru for a minute, because that's where Jonathan went at the end of the third movie. 
and and just include that stuff. It's those hooks that help. You know, Mission Impossible did this as well. The first movie brought one of the main characters back from the show. I mean, yeah, they, they vilified him, but at least it was there, and it rooted it in the success of the past. And with the Dark Universe, they were just like, we're so awesome that you're not going to care that there's nothing here besides what we're presenting today. And you love being marketed to, and that's that's what we're going to do. So because of their lack of respect for the audience and their poor planning, they pretty much ruined their chances right out of the gate. Now, I bring all this up because we're about to get an Invisible Man movie that's supposed to be more horror than anything, and then and they're going to continue to try. But I don't think we're going to see any hooks to that Mummy movie that failed. I mean, they already did away with the lead actor, who was going to be Johnny Depp, I believe, and the director of that film is gone. They got a new guy. Ultimately, we're looking at a brand new attempt at bringing back those movies because their first one failed. And they and, and to be fair to them, they at least allowed it to cool off before trying again, which that was very smart. I think that's what the Terminator series needed to do, but they didn't. And at least the Dark Universe gave us plenty of time from that Mummy movie to sort of take a deep breath and go, okay, well, I guess I'm ready for more universal horror now. Whether or not it's successful, I guess we'll see. Maybe they took some advice and, and, and we'll see how it, how it works in the future. I feel that the DC Universe could have done something similar by taking the success of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies and just throwing more money at Christian Bale to bring him back and thus making it one universe. I know that some people might think that would have ruined those three movies because they didn't like the extended universe stuff, whether it was the Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman. But I think that that would have given DC more of a chance since those movies were beloved, they made a lot of money, they earned awards, and then they were just like, and now we're rebooting. Why? Why? You had something great. I mean, the Batman movies were right up there with the Iron Man movies as far as success went. And they were they were just cool. The tone was awesome. I mean, they even got Christopher Nolan to help with The Man of Steel. I think he produced it. So why not just keep it? Just give Bale the money. Get him back the same way that they got Robert Downey Jr. to come back for The Avengers. It just would have made more sense. And I think that if they would have maintained the tone from those, maybe even just had Nolan treat those movies same way as that uh, Kevin Feige guy does for Marvel and just have him sort of guide everyone I, I have a feeling the DC Universe would have been a much better experience and it wouldn't have had the same tonal problems that we feel when we see them now you know whether it be Aquaman that is trying to be like Thor or the Batman versus Superman that is just too dark and, and gritty for the for the characters, or if it's, you know, whatever. It, it just needed a guiding hand, and it needed to base itself on the success of the past. And without doing that, I think they pretty much set themselves up for failure, just like the Dark Universe did. Any of these movie studios that want to take some franchise and turn it into a unified cinematic universe, they need to have discipline they've got to stop thinking that they can just leap into the deep end of the pool right away we've seen this countless times with media over the years whether it was massively multiplayer online games or movies or whatever else someone sees some success they assume they can just do it quickly and throw it out there and get the same level of success or at least a piece of it and then we get some hackneyed half-assed job and and it and it gets critically panned 
And then we are doubting the abilities of those people who are trying to create, which sucks because sometimes they get some really talented, creative people to come in and do that. And they're hamstrung by this sort of, let's get it out there fast. What is it? It's speed to market. And that, that will kill quality almost every single time. Those are my thoughts on how to fix a franchise, how to adjust it, or how they could have just done better. Total opinions, just thinking about it from a writing perspective. Um, I, I really feel like those both could have been a lot better experiences. Warner Brothers was willing to throw money at the DC Universe regardless. They were still making money, but Dark Universe obviously failed so big that they couldn't throw money at it because it was it was too much of a risk, so... I guess we'll see if this Invisible Man saves them and if they come back with something great, but I don't really have a lot of faith in that, and uh, I'm not sure that anyone else does either. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for stopping by. I appreciate you listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, be sure to check out our website at www.societycasefiles.com or www.roberthazelton.com. Don't forget to follow or support the project at ko-fi.com slash societycasefiles. Thanks again. Have a great week.